Well, good morning. First of all, let me start by saying thank you. There are very few things that go on around at Crosspoint that I don't have at least some clue of. And uh, I had no idea that that was happening. And so you guys made me ball like a baby back there right before I have to preach. So I appreciate that uh, very much. But truly, guys, it's an honor to serve as your pastor. Uh, I'm going to not get emotional. I probably am because I'm a baby, but literally the greatest honor of my life. So I'm very thankful to be in this position. I'm very thankful for each and every one of you. As David mentioned, you all are family, and I mean that. And so thank you for saying thank you. Uh, Throughout this series, this is our last week. This is week seven of the gospel according to John. And we obviously haven't been exhaustive. We haven't looked at every single thing that we could look at. But I tried to pick and choose some different things uh, that I just hadn't covered in John for you all before because I've preached from it quite a bit. It is my favorite gospel. And we've looked at uh, a lot of things throughout this series. We looked at the trustworthiness of scripture about our testimony for Jesus and how important that can be. Uh, We looked at ensuring that we as a church and as a people are focusing on the right things when it comes to worship and when it comes to living this Christian life. And we've discussed how uh, we're all born sinners and we have to be born again and, and how our soul's thirst can be quenched and our hunger for the things of this world can be extinguished. Well, this week we look at the benefits of accepting Christ's gift of living water and everlasting bread. If you remember, that's what we talked about the last two weeks. Well, this week we look at the benefits of accepting his gift, of, of saying, yes, Lord, I believe, of saying, yes, Lord, uh, I need your forgiveness. Yes, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that you have redeeming capabilities. And so we're looking at John chapter 11 today. We're going to be in verses 21 through 44. Um, once again, I'm excited about this week. I, I, God does some just absolutely powerful things in this passage. And it's one of, uh, if not my favorite passages in all of scripture, and I'll explain why once we get there. But starting in verse 21, And just to give you kind of a little uh, background of what's happening, uh, Jesus is informed before this that Lazarus is sick, and he's given that message by Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, and he states to his disciples that that sickness would not end in death. And he's determined to come back to Judea and heal Lazarus, but in the time it takes for him to kind of relay that message Uh, to have that message relayed to him and the time it takes for him to travel back to Judea, a place where he was threatened with stoning not too long before this, um, Lazarus has already been dead for four days. And that's significant, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But just with that in mind, as he is approaching Judea, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, she comes to him, she knows he's on his way, and she finds him, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know, I know that even now, God, you will give whatever, that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection and on the last day. And so this is all happening four days after Lazarus' death. And as I said, that's significant because in their climate, in the Middle East where this would have taken place, Lazarus would have been like dead, dead, okay, dead, dead. Decomposition would have already set in. Uh, We're talking at this point, honestly, rotting flesh. And I mean, I don't know how to say it. Like 
that he is dead, okay? And if you roll the stone away because he was in a tomb covered by stone, if you roll that stone away, you're not going to be greeted with good things. We at the bonfire got to experience a little bit of that last night because there was a dead animal around where we were sitting and we couldn't quite find it, but boy, could we smell it, right? And I'm just telling you, it's not a good situation to be in. So when Jesus comes and he says, hey, your brother will not die. He, he will not stay dead, basically, is what he's telling Martha. And she doesn't quite understand. She says, I know that he's going to rise again. I know that in the last day, he will come back. I know that. But right now, God, I miss him now. And if you had been here, he would not have died. She doesn't understand what we're going to see later, that Jesus fully intends on calling Lazarus up out of that grave. So Martha comes, and she's absolutely just heartbroken. And she, again, delivers that message. I want you to really hear it, really contemplate it and think about it. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But also in that same moment, something really powerful happens. Martha is able to express faith. I know, I know, even though I know if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I know that God will give you whatever you ask. I know that you are this good teacher. I know that you have this special connection with God. And I know, I just know that if you ask, God will give you whatever it is that you ask. You see, the strength of our relationship with God can be seen in our ability to express faith in a state of heartbrokenness. That's when faith is really difficult. That's when faith, a lot of times, is thrown to the wayside. That's when we really get to test how strong our ties to Jesus are. But we really get to also see how strong our belief is in moments like that. That's when you know that this thing is real, when you can take a punch to the gut and still see the goodness of God, still see his faithfulness, still see his promise. And Martha is able to express this. She knows that Lazarus, her brother, has received the gift of God. She knows that on the resurrection in the last day, he will rise. But what she doesn't know is that Christ has something even greater for her, something that she cannot quite comprehend. So in verse 25, Jesus says to her, I, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asked her an all-important question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Christ is here asking you that question today, face to face. Do you believe this? Do you believe that I, the Christ, the Son of God, am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that those who put their faith in me will not die but have everlasting life? Do you believe this? Because that's what it boils down to. That's what our faith boils down to. That's what salvation boils down to. It's do you believe? She replies in verse 27, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. So first thing you have to understand is that Christ is the resurrection and the life. And belief in him unlocks something truly miraculous. You see, only through Christ can death unlock new life. And what's really awesome is it happens in two ways. When we die to our old selves figuratively, 
When we say we're going to put down the things of this world that have risen up in my being, I'm going to choose Christ before I choose all of these other things that are of this world. When we die figuratively, we experience life in Christ. That's truly powerful. It's really amazing. But here's the other thing. When we die physically, when we die physically, in newsflash, we're all someday going to die physically. When we die physically, we experience a new life because of Christ. You hear the difference there? When we die to ourselves figuratively, when we die to sin, we experience a new life through the teachings of Christ. But because of what Christ did on a cross, because of his love for us, because of his willingness to be broken and to bleed and to be crushed and to be the sacrificial lamb, because of his willingness to do that, when we die physically, we get to experience new life because of Christ. And all it takes, all it takes is to say, yes, Lord, I believe. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe. Going on in verse 28, it says that after she said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary aside and she said, the teacher is here. The teacher is here. This is significant. It shows her relationship and closeness to Christ, but it also shows Christ's closeness and relationship to his followers, not just male followers, female followers. Why is that important? Because in this day and age, females didn't have teachers. That's just the truth. They didn't have teachers. Rabbis did not seek to teach out the female population. They sought out the males. They sought out the ones with power, so to speak, right? But not Jesus. Not Jesus. He taught all that came and sat at his feet and said, yes, Lord, I believe. And so she comes to her sister and she says something very endearing. The teacher is here and he's asking for you. The teacher's here and he's asking for you. You have to understand when you're going through it, when you're suffering, when you think you're alone, when you think nobody can possibly care, the teacher's here. The teacher's here, and he's asking for you. He's asking for you. Will you believe? Will you believe? It says, when Mary heard this, she got up quickly, and she went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, this is different than Martha. Martha came with a statement of fact. Lord, if you had been here, I know my brother wouldn't have died. But Mary, Mary is fueled by anger and hurt and emotion and sorrow. And she throws herself at his feet a sign that she is completely giving herself up to Christ, a sign that she is humbling herself as much as she possibly can. And in anguish, she yells out, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So verse 33 says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, weeping he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. And in my opinion, the most powerful verse in all of scripture, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus 
wet. Why don't you think about that? Jesus wept. That verse gets thrown around a lot because it's two words and we can all memorize it. And do you know any scripture? Sure do. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept, right? Like, I know that one. Nailed it. And by doing that, and I'm going to be a real honest, as I was thinking about it this week, I think that that really is a, just an act of Satan. Because by doing that, we cheapen that verse. We look at that verse as if it's just these two measly little words. But the Savior of the world is weeping because of the heart that he has for his people. Every time I read this passage of Scripture, it brings to life other parts of Scripture. Because nothing, and I mean nothing, shows Jesus' heart for you and for me and for everyone like those two words. Jesus seeks Mary out. He seeks her out. He has compassion for her. He wants to see her. He wants to be with her. He wants to tell her that he loves her, that he's sorry for her loss. He is seeking her out. The Savior of all the world and of all generations wants to be there for his friend. And what a friend we have in Jesus. You see, Scripture tells us that those of us who do what he says, who follow his commands, who listen to his teachings, see the value, see the worth, and agree to live life in that way, they are his friends. And for Jesus' friends, he weeps. And for Jesus' friends, he seeks them out in times of trouble and anguish and sorrow and destitute. When you're at your lowest of low, Jesus is there. He's there. Test him. You, I know scripture says don't test him, but test him. Test him. In those times, pray. Ask Jesus to draw near. I promise you, you will feel his presence. If you're sincere, if the answer to the question, do you believe is yes, you will feel his presence because he wants to be there for his friends. She falls at his feet, weeping. She echoes her sister's words. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But oh man, something about the way she said it strikes a chord in Jesus. And Jesus wept. He wept. Now, he already promised Martha that her brother would experience life. He already guaranteed that sickness wouldn't result in his death. He has the authority to not only make, but keep these promises because he is the author of life. He is the author of life. But still, his love for us is such that even though he knows that he is in control, even though he knows what is about to happen, even though he knows that he is about to bring them out on the other side of this issue in a way that they can't comprehend and bless them beyond anything that they can measure, even though he knows that, he still wept. He still wept. We can have faith. We can know things are going to be okay. We can be there for others and know that they will come out with rainbows and sunshine and all of those things, and we can still weep in the process. 
our heart can still hurt for the world around us, even though we can know that our God is in control. In verse 36 through 44, and it's a bigger chunk, so stay with me. It says, then the Jews said, see how he loved him? One of the few nice things that Jewish non-believers of Christ said about Christ in Scripture. They could recognize that despite any issue maybe they had with this man, the Christ, with this man, Jesus, they could see that his love for Lazarus was real. See how he loved him? And that's important to me too because I live in a world, and so do you, that I live counterculturally too. Probably not as well as I should, I'll be honest. Probably not as well as I should, but I do not live in a way that the world says that I should live. I just don't. Because I'm doing my best to follow Christ's will and path for my life. And that will and that path takes me to an area that is not of this world. And there are people out there who disagree with the way that I think and the way that I believe and the way that I live my life and they're not afraid to say so. They're not afraid to look at me and say, I think that you're wrong. But also, if I'm living my life correctly, they can look at me and say, see how he loves them? He still loves them. We disagree. We think that maybe he's a jerk sometimes. He's a bigot. He's this, he's that. He's listening to this book from thousands of years ago. What a moron. But they can still see, despite all of those feelings, that my love for the world around me and for the people around me is real. Jesus is the perfect example of that. And even though there were some that recognized that he loved them, we see in verse 37 that some of them said, could, he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? There's still going to be doubt. There's still going to be doubt. Verse 38 says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there is a bad odor. By this time, he is dead, dead. For he has been there four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Amen. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. You see, Christ isn't bound by human constraints. He's not bound by human constraints. It's why he's able to say, roll that stone away. 
It's why he's able to roll away the stones in your life. It's why when he says that you are forgiven, you are forgiven. Because he is Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the son of God. And his father hears him. It's why he can write the promise and keep the promise that if you believe, if you believe, then you shall see God. And yes, yes, even you, even you, even you, even you, even you. I know that because it was even me. Yes, even you. Christ came to forgive you. Christ is able to forgive you. Christ is able to change your life. Even your sin can be washed away. In verse 38, it tells us that he approaches the tomb deeply moved. Here's what you miss if you don't get the original language, okay? The word that is used that is translated to deeply moved connotates anger. Righteous anger, but anger. What Jesus is feeling in that moment is anger. Maybe angry that he was late, Maybe angry at the pain that was caused, but definitely angry that death touched his friend. See, when you're a friend of Jesus, death will not touch you. So he has the stone removed. Take it away. And he calls him out of the grave. I'm going to read 44 again. It says that the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Today, Jesus is calling you out of your grave. He is calling you out of your grave. Some of you out there have accepted that call. You walked out with your grave clothes on and he took them off and he covered you instead with a robe and he told you to go. And even though that's happened, some of you are trying to crawl back in. Some of you are trying to dig your own grave today. Whatever it is that's got a grip on you, Christ is calling you out of it. Christ is calling you out of that grave. For those of you that have not accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the grave is yours. That's just the truth. I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it. That grave is yours and it's coming for you. I don't know when, I don't know how, but it is coming for you. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. But there is a gift. There is a gift. And we have covered that gift over the last seven weeks. And that gift is the Christ. And as we see today, if you will just say, yes, Lord, I believe. That stone will be rolled away. And that grave will no longer be yours. Because Christ is in control. If no one's ever told you this before, let me be the first. Come out of that grave. Take off your grave clothes and go. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word and for the fact that you love us and that you want to redeem us. You want to set us free.
You want to have us experience freedom in a way that we never have before. God, if we will just die to ourselves, if we will just die to ourselves, we can find life in Christ. If we'll just believe. If we'll just believe. And when we believe, we won't experience death, just a transformation, just a move from this earth to heaven. God, that is an amazing thing. None of us deserve it. None of us deserve it. That is true. But that wasn't a concern of yours. Your concern was not what it is that we deserve, but how you might love us and how you might welcome us into the family of God. Lord, if there's anyone out there today that does not know you, I pray for a couple things. First, I pray that you just convict their hearts and churn their stomachs. Don't let them leave this building today without saying, yes, Lord, I believe. The second thing I ask is that you give them the courage to step out, to admit that they're sinners, to state their belief, to confess that you are the Son of God. Lord, help us to welcome them into the family with open arms. I ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. I'm going to have some people praying around the room for you this morning. Okay. I'm trying. Richard, would you help me out this morning? Richard's going to stand underneath that television. If you need to pray, Richard's going to be there to pray with you. Ashley, would you mind helping this morning? Ashley will be over there underneath that television. I know a lot of times I stand in the back, but today I'm going to stand right in front of you. You're going to have to ignore me by looking me in the eye, and that's okay with me. Okay. Right now, we're going to stand. We're going to worship. We're going to meditate on the things that God has done for us and thank him for the difference he's made in our lives. There's someone out there. I can feel it. There's someone out there that needs to come forward and say, yes, God, I believe. I promise you the weight that will fall from your shoulders when you take that first step forward is going to change your life. Let's stand now and let's worship.